Um, there are two verses of Scripture that everybody knows, whether you're Christian, non-Christian. There are two verses of Scripture that everybody can quote, even if they never went to Sunday school, never went to vacation in Bible school. There's at least two verses that everybody knows. One of those is what? John? That's right. Let's say it out loud together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have you knew that verse, didn't you? Now, here's the second one. You don't know where it is. You couldn't find it if your soul depended on it. But you know the Bible says somewhere, do not judge, don't you? And you've quoted that. And somebody's quoted that to you. Say it with me. Do not judge. Say it again. Do not judge. Everybody knows that verse or parts of that verse. And they may not know why that verse exists, and they may use that verse as kind of a bully pulpit against you, and usually we like that verse because it's a license to do whatever we want to do, right? Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. In fact, that Bible that you believe in says, don't, don't judge me, right? So you know that verse, or that verse has been used with you or maybe against you, but everybody in the room has heard bits and parts of that verse. Now, I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, um, it's a loophole. We like loopholes. Turn to the neighbor beside you and say, we all like loopholes. Say, we all like loopholes, right? Everybody's looking for a loophole. But I think the second reason that we quote that verse or that verse has been quoted is we don't like to feel judged. We don't like the pain. We've all in this room been judged. And the feeling of being judged is incredibly painful. How many of you in the room have felt judged by a parent, by a grandparent, by a teacher, by a coach, by a neighbor? How many of you have felt judged in the room? Okay. How many, I mean, it happens, doesn't it? I, I, I can remember, gosh, I remember my first grade teacher. I'm not going to mention her name. God rest her soul. She was awful. But I, 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 I was a little boy that I couldn't sit still. I was just fidgeting and flailing all the time. And anything that had a ball, I was for it. Baseball, basketball. I mean, I just, but to sit and read, are you kidding me? You want me to sit and read during the day? And this woman, um, gosh, she didn't like me. And she was old and she retired after me. And I think I drove her out of the school system, you know, and, and, and I, I, so I got to the second grade, and I did not read well. I was not a good reader. Now, today, I, I read two or three books every month. I read every day. I read all the time. And I look back, and I wonder if I am a reader today because of a really bad experience I had. So the school year is getting ready to start. And a relative in the family decided that they were going to bring me up to that second grade reading level. And this relative got so angry because I was in the, was in the middle of the day. Are you kidding me? Who wants to read in the middle of the day? That this relative took the book, threw it across the room, bent the binding on the book. I can still see that blue color and the bend in that book to this day. And the feeling of being judged by this relative deeply wounded and deeply impact me. And so I wonder today if I'm a reader 
because of that experience that was so negative in my life that I was never going to have that feeling again. You think about your life. You've had some experiences and you've shied away from some things because you're so afraid of the pain of that feeling. You've had some other experiences in life that you've gotten really good at some things because you were really awful at it and you didn't want to feel awful about that the rest of your life. We've all felt judged. We all understand what judging is. This was about 20 years ago, <clears throat> and I was in Baptist East Hospital in Memphis. And I was, going to, I was walking up to the, to the front doors of this hospital to go visit somebody, and I saw a guy from our church, probably 15, 20 years older than me. I saw a guy from our church, and he's outside smoking. He's outside just getting on this cigarette, about to inhale this cigarette. And, um, you know, I, I'm, smoking's not going to keep you out of heaven. In fact, it'll probably get you there a little faster, okay? <laughs> so I, I don't care if the guy, I mean, it's not my, you know, so it's him. So anyway, it was a guy smoking away, just chewing on this cigarette. And I walk up to him, and he sees me coming. And I kid you not, he takes this lit, half-lit cigarette, and he sticks it in his coat pocket. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how long is he going to leave that cigarette in his pocket? Now, today, at this age, I'd stand there until he burned up. He'd catch on fire. The coat would burn up, you know. But I thought, do I, am I, do I let him off the hook? What do I do with this guy? And apparently, he didn't want to feel what? Judged. He didn't want to feel judged. So when Jesus says, do not judge, what does he mean? Why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say, do not judge? Now, before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, there are a bunch of other verses that say to judge. It's really confusing. When Jesus says, do not judge, we quote that part of the verse. We know those three words of that, but we forget the other 13 or 14 verses. I'm just going to share three where the Bible actually encourages you to judge. Now, what's up with this tension? Let's look at some of these verses, okay? First one, Jesus says in a couple more chapters, he says, watch out for false prophets. Well, if you don't judge somebody, how are you going to know whether or not they're a true prophet or whether or not they're a false prophet? Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. 1 John, I'll just read one more. 1 John says this, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. How can you test the spirits if you don't judge something? And so Jesus says, do not judge. But then he says in other places to be incredibly discerning. And he wants you to be able to think through who people are, what people are, and how to go about with your life. So what does Jesus say? Well, there's only three kinds of people. You, you know this. There's only three kinds of people. You can take all people and put them into three different categories. There are wise people, there are foolish people, and there are evil people. Say that with me. Wise people, foolish people, and evil people. There's only three kinds of people. That's all there is. Now, there's different degrees of wise people. There's different degrees of foolish people. There's different degrees of evil people. And Jesus would never say to you not to understand who people are. In fact, if you're going to go into business, wouldn't you want to go into business with somebody who's wise? If, if you're on a first date 
and, and he's not very wise, he's foolish, there's not going to be a second date, right? But if this guy ends up being pretty wise on the first date, there's a pretty good chance of maybe a second date. Jesus is not saying to be undiscerning. In fact, the scriptures are just the opposite. Paul, Peter, Timothy, Titus, James, none of them would ever tell you to have universal approval of all behavior, but they do teach universal, unconditional love toward all people. There's a difference. So what is Jesus doing? This is so confusing because the scriptures are kind of like, there's, there's a tension that we have to manage with this. What is he trying to say? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's finish this section, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. So Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged in verses 1 and 2. And in verse 3, he says, so why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you don't pay any attention to the plank that's in your own eye? Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, now notice this isn't people you don't know. This is somebody close to you. This is your brother. This is your family. This is your best friend. This is a coworker. This is, this is somebody you're intimately connected with. How can you say to somebody that you know well, let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time, bro, dude, you got a plank, you got a two before sticking out of your eye. At this point, the, the crowd's laughing. Jesus is using hyperbole. They're on a hillside, and Jesus has got them rolling at this point. When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not saying not to help your brother. He's not saying that people don't need a little bit of help from time to time. But what's he saying? He's saying, would you look at yourself first? So I've got two props today. And I think, you'll be the judge of this, but I think... This will be something you will never forget. You see, we all know what the window's about. We take the window and we look through the window. We look up to people, we look down to people, but we look through the window. The window is meant to be looked, it's an object to look through. The glass hopefully is clear, the glass can be clean, and and the, the objective of this is to be able to see somebody on the other side. But the mirror is different. The the mirror is not meant to be looking at other people. The mirror is to be looking at ourselves. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. I think Jesus is saying, you all are spending, that's the Southern translation, you all are spending too much time looking through the window and you're not spending enough time in the mirror. Now think about your own life. Jesus never says to be undiscerning about people. He would not say, we'll ignore the thief, we'll ignore the, the betrayer, we'll, we'll ignore the liar. Jesus loves the liar, but he's aware that lying's wrong. He's aware of, he loves the thief, but stealing is wrong. He loves the betrayer, but betraying is wrong. He's not saying for you to be having like glass that you can't see through. But what he is probably saying to us in this passage of scripture is, how do you spend your time? Do you spend most of your time looking down at people, judging people, criticizing people, putting people down? Why don't you start with yourself first? And what Jesus is saying is, your world will be much better if you start with you. But we don't always start with ourselves. We want to look at other people. So how quick are you to look through the window versus to look into the mirror? 
Because in the mirror, you have to look at yourself. In the mirror, you have to say, okay, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is what I'm doing. That's painful. That's hard. That's challenging. That takes a lot of courage. This doesn't take any courage. This is easy. Slamming other people, stepping on other people, hurting other people, that's easy to do. This, that takes courage. That, that's where the growth takes place. And I think Jesus is saying this. You see, if you're stuck spiritually in exactly the same place today that you have been for the last five years, you're looking through the window. You see, people who stay stuck spiritually, they look at other people, well, they're not doing this, and she's not doing that, and he's not doing that, and how come, and what if, and how, what if, should I? See, that's what happens over here. But if you're going to grow in your spiritual life, you're going to examine yourself with the Holy Spirit and with the Scriptures and with the church and with God's people, and you're going to grow. So why do people spend maybe 90% of their time over here and only about 10% of their time over here? Now think about your own life. What rehearses through your mind? What's your language? What's your vocabulary? Where do you spend most of your time? Are you over here? Well, she didn't do this, and he didn't do that, and look at that. Would you look how silly that is? Or do you know what? I need to grow. I think God's doing some things in my life. I think, I think it's time for me to, to, to step up to this particular challenge. Where do you spend the most of your time? Now, so why, why do we do this? I think there's three main reasons. Number one, I think it's jealousy. I think number one could be a reason that people are very critical and very judgmental is maybe they're jealous. Someone said this, um, sometimes Christians are jealous of those people who are non-Christians because the non-Christians are sinning and sin is fun. And if you're not having fun with sin, you're doing it wrong, okay? Well, sin is fun for a season, but, but perhaps jealousy. Number two, self-righteousness. Maybe there's just a lot of pride in your life. And you just really feel like, I'm right, I'm always right, I'm usually right, I'm, I'm going to be right again, and there's just some pride and self-righteousness. But number three is it's about a, a desire really to, to make yourself set apart for holiness. Judging makes me more holy. And I know Christians who are, who are just confused about this. They got the thing upside down. They're trying to be holy and righteous, which is good. But they go about it in such a way that if they can put other people down, then maybe that makes them look more righteous. When I hear someone putting someone down, that does not make them more righteous. That makes them more judgmental and a little bit out of touch with who they are. So I think what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is saying, here's an opportunity for you to grow. Now, when you do the mirror there are then a couple of challenges with the mirror. And there are two extremes that you might go with the mirror. And let me put those two extremes on the, uh, on the screen right now. One is shallow examination, and the other extreme is perpetual, I call it autopsy, okay? So these are the two tensions that you have to manage when you come to the, wind, when you come to the mirror. On the mirror side, we can have shallow examination, or we can have perpetual autopsy. So James, chapter 1, James says that we're to, 
not just look in the mirror and look at ourselves and forget what we look like. We're supposed to grow from that. But if we just kind of go, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to look at myself. I don't need to grow. I'm good. I'm, I'm great. That would be shallow examination. I guarantee you, when you walk away from a passage of Scripture and you're the hero in a passage of Scripture, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because every time in every passage of Scripture, whether it's do not worry, whether it's how to give, how to pray, how to fast, you're not the hero. You're the one that has to grow. You're the one that there's growth opportunities. Every time you read a passage of Scripture and you feel great about, look at how great I am with it, you have missed it. That would be shallow examination. On the other hand, would be just perpetual autopsy. Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 talks about how the accuser accuses you day and night. That's what the, the accuser does. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you heard me say that we as a church, we always teach God's plan A. That's what we'll always do. We'll always teach God's plan A. We'll never teach God's plan B. But guess what? None of us in the room can always live up to plan A. And so plan A is up here, and you're somewhere over here, and that gap's called the grace of God. That gap is called the grace of the Holy Spirit. That gap is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the great news. And so once we accept Christ, Christ then begins to change our lives from the inside out. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 is a great verse to hold on to. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. He says, Jesus, test yourselves. Just examine yourselves. Your attitude toward this, your opinion toward this, your views toward this. Just examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, he says, you what? You fail the test. Well, let me give you three main thoughts that I think go along with this topic to bring some sense to it. Number one, we can and we must love people who practice behavior outside the margins of Scripture. Absolutely. But we don't dumb down the Scriptures. We don't ever teach plan B, do we? We don't ever teach plan C. That doesn't ever help you. We always teach plan A. But we can always love people, and we should, who live outside the margins of Scripture. Number two, I must look inward before I I look outward. I I just think that's what Jesus is teaching over and over and over again. He says to the Pharisees, you guys are worried about the outside of the cup, for goodness sakes. Don't be worried about the outside of the cup. Be worried about the inside of the cup. Don't be worried about that which goes outside the body. Worry about what comes into your heart. He says to the woman at the well, he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have any husband. He said, you're right. Now, why did Jesus say that? He was rolling with her. He about could close the deal. And then he, he levels her with that. It's because she had an issue that she had to get her heart right. In your life, your heavenly father is far more concerned about your heart. Because when he gets your heart right, he gets your behavior right. And so that's the purpose, not of the window. The window might be behavior. I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to get my behavior right. I'm going to make all these Christians think I'm a wonderful, well-behaved pastor. Just don't ask my family. So the point is, the point is, the Holy Spirit is always over here going, you're saved, you're in, 
You're going to heaven. You're in the kingdom. But I want to clean you up on the inside. I want to change your heart. That's what he does. And I think number three, we've got to figure out why do I do this? Why, why am I so stinking judgmental? Why do I rehearse this far more than this? Figure out why you do that. There's a reason why you're so judgmental. Maybe you're insecure. Maybe it's just how you grew up. Maybe it's just a culture. Maybe it's just a habit. Maybe your parents criticized everything and everybody, and you just think that's how you should do it. But, but this is something that I can't really help you with, but you need to figure this out. Why? Why? Am I afraid to look through at the mirror? See, I, I think it's terrifying to look in the mirror. Because the mirror says... The Holy Spirit's not done with me yet. This over here, I can avoid. I can avoid over here. This baby right here, you cannot avoid this. This is smack upside the head, straight and center, growth, 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 and growth. And, and then Jesus not only says for us not to judge, but he says the way that we judge it will be measured back toward us. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 and look at verses 1 and 2 again. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble here, are you? And with the measure, oh my gosh, I've looked through this window, I've nailed her, I've nailed him, I've been so judgmental, oh my gosh. With the measure you use, Jesus says, it, it, it comes back to you. Now you know that's true. How you treat people is how they're going to treat you. You smile a lot, people are going to smile back at you. You have kind words, people have kind words for you. You frown at people, they're not as happy. To, you know this is just a principle. Look at a couple of scriptures that also support this. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And he says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. Say that with me. Ready? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Ready? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Look at what Galatians says. Or not Galatians, but look at the next verse. Yep, Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps whatever he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, and the flesh will reap destruction. I've got to slow down, don't I? <laughs> I can hear my wife right now. She's in the room going, slow down. I'm stoked about this, okay? Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will please destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We all know that you reap what you sow. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is mercy wins. Mercy wins. So learn how to be merciful, and you will never, ever be the same again. So let's look at these five verses again. I just want to read them again one more time. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. The same way you judge others. You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? 
you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Now, what would our world be like if we did that? What, what would our homes be like? What would our marriages be like? What would our friendships be like? What would our work environment, what would our neighborhoods be like? You, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think Ruth Graham summarized this beautifully two years before her death. Billy and Ruth Graham were taking a drive through the country, and they came to some construction in the road work, and they're on the, on the road, and it had curves and turns and uneven pavement, and this was quite a while, the road construction, and they got to the end of the road construction. Billy and Ruth are driving through all this, and when they got back on smooth pavement, here was the sign when they got back on the smooth pavement. It said, end of construction, thanks for your patience. And Ruth said to Billy, she said, Billy, that's a fitting inscription for my tombstone. (laughs) She said, I want that on my tombstone. End of construction. God's been constructing me all these 87 years. He's been constructing me. Thanks for your patience. Isn't that really pretty good from Ruth Graham? So just imagine what your life would be like and what the lives of everybody around you would be like if you were a little less this and said, okay, Lord, where do I need to grow? Okay, Lord, we've, we've done this and we've done this and we've we, we got a handle on that. But, oh, Lord, this is trouble. i got to grow over here. Where, where are you wanting to grow me? Where are you wanting to change me? Where are you wanting to transform me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what your home would be like? If, if, if you're over here as a dad, as a mom, single parent, whatever, can you imagine what your home would be like? Uh, children in the room, middle schoolers, high schoolers in the room, can you imagine if you're not over here, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do this. Can you imagine as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, as a young adult, if you're over here looking at yourself? Can you imagine what our friendships would be like? I've got one of my prayer partners in the room right now. I'm with chairman of the elders in the room, and I had in first service two other prayer partners. Can you imagine if I'm always looking through the window at my two buddies in this room, I'm always trying to put them down, versus why don't I listen to what they're saying? i got two great men in this room right now who love me and pray for me every single day. Why don't I listen and look in the mirror and say, okay, they've mentioned a couple things. They're both saying the kind of, why don't I grow with that? Because that's painful. That's hard to do. It is so hard to listen to wonderful people in your life who've already taken the logs out of their eyes, and they keep taking more logs, and they're just trying to help you with a little splinter, just a little splinter. Can you imagine what our church would be like? I don't want to go to a church where it's all law and all truth and big, back, big black Bibles and they beat the stew out of you, make you feel guilty. Every, but but we, we can't dumb down the truth. We won't dumb down the truth. We're always plan A, plan A, plan A. We'll never do plan B or plan C, ever. But isn't it a little bit more graceful if we err on this side over here? And we love each other, and we say, you know what? I'm working on me. I'm working on me. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on you, right? 
I, 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 got, I got a couple of logs over here, in these, but I'm going to let him work on me, and you're going to let him work on you. And can you imagine the impact? I don't know where we're going to put everybody, but can you imagine the impact that we'll have if as a church we don't err on the side of law, but we actually say, gosh, we love you. We're just in this together. We're a team growing together. We're just a group of people who are trying to help each other, love each other, serve each other, honor each other. Can you imagine the impact of it? We'll have to have 20 services on a Sunday morning. That's a really bad thought right now. Can you imagine that? So here's what we're going to do for the next four or five minutes. We're going to take communion together. And right now, they're going to pass out the loaf and the cup and just grab the loaf and the cup. But here's what we want you to do during communion. We want you to come over here. Come over here. Come over here and say, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, where am I supposed to grow? Where, where, where is it right now? Jesus, you died for me. You shed your blood for me. Where is it now that I can grow in my relationship with you and you're working on me? Will you, during this time of communion, examine yourself? Nobody else. Just examine yourself and let the Holy Spirit speak volumes to you. And may you grow and may you grow and may you grow. So we're going to pass it out. This is your time to look in the mirror and the Holy Spirit, we're going to expect Him to reveal truth and growth in your life. Just hold the loaf and the cup. If you want to take it on your own, whatever, a few minutes, that's great. Um, This is your time to connect with your Heavenly Father.